Welcome to the second episode of the LGBTQ plus outdoors clubhouse session. In this room, I have the incredible guest of Sarah Hewitt. Sarah's pronouns are she, her. I've known Sarah for many years now. I'm super, super lucky to consider her a really wonderful friend and part of my life. So I knew that as soon as I started these clubhouse sessions that I needed to get Sarah on as a guest at some point to talk all about her passion for hiking, how she got into it, and the dear place in her heart that Sweden has. We talk a lot about the Fjallraven Classic and how hiking and being outdoors and being on these multi-day hikes has helped to heal Sarah through a multitude of tough times in her life. And one of the things that I absolutely love about Sarah is just her authentic honesty I love the way that she talks about these tough times with such candidness, but in a way that is so relatable. So I really hope that as you listen to this episode, there's a dose of inspiration in there for you, but also I hope that you are just as charmed by Sarah as I always have been. Now, as a quick caveat, I have to mention that my audio recorder ran out of battery halfway through the session. I'm really sorry. <laughs> um, I always said, I say always, this is only the second episode. So for two times, I have said that these episodes are going to be rough and ready. The latter half of the Clubhouse session I had to record on my phone. So forgive me for a difference in audio quality there. But hopefully you'll be able to hear everybody clearly. And hopefully you'll get just as much out of this episode as the previous episode with Toby Fells. So... I'll stop waffling now and let you listen to Sarah Hewitt. Thank you so much. Hello, Sarah. Hello. How's it going? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Good. Yeah, Wednesday. Wednesday done. Exactly. Hi, Jen. Hi, Stuart. Thank you so much. Hi, Paul. Thank you for joining the room. Just going to make Sarah a moderator so that she can also be given the power to give you microphones. Oh, how cool is that? <laughs> Hi, Ezzy. Hi, Hilary. Thank you so much for joining. Oh, wow. It's so great to have so many people join the room so quickly. It's brilliant. It's only 8.01. Yeah. Well, BST. Great. Super keen beans. Excellent. Hi, Annie. Thank you so much for joining. Oh, this is so good. What a wonderful way to kick off this room. Well, seeing as there's so many people in the room already, let's just kick off, shall we, Sarah? Um, and then more people can sort of um, pop in at a later date. Um, yeah sure let's dive on in perfect hi fraser thank you so much for joining us um so right um this is the lgbtq plus outdoors room all about hiking um, and we are part of the diversity in the outdoors club this evening well this evening in the uk um i am joined by the wonderful sarah hewitt um who has been a friend of mine for quite a few years now um in my instagram post um, I said that essentially I met Sarah without actually meeting Sarah um, because <laughs> we um, we essentially met at Kendall Mountain Festival in 2019? Yeah, 2019. Yeah, feels like it was longer ago than that, but yeah, 2019. <laughs> it does indeed. Um, so yeah, 2019, um, and I remember that we, um, we'd been put in touch through um, an outdoors group called the Adventure Queens, and um, we 
uh, traded numbers and we were we were talking about where we popped our vans up for the for the few days of the festival um but because the festival was so packed uh, for those of you who um, either know about Kendall or, or or have never been to Kendall before it's a multi-day outdoors festival that's really big in the UK um and the schedules are so busy you can't go to everything basically they put so much on in terms of film showings talks workshops there's just no way that you can go to everything um so Sarah and I kept kind of missing each other <laughs> um, until the very last evening, I think, was the Berghaus yeah. Women in Adventure talk. And we managed to meet up for that talk. And that was the first time that we met, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, since and then, yeah, would you like to carry on? Well, yeah, no, I mean, since then, uh, it's just uh, continued, hasn't it? Um, and I went to, I managed to get in a trip to Sweden uh, in between lockdowns at some point like October last year and uh, Frit and Frankie needed somewhere to stay for a bit so they came and uh, house sat for me and looked after my slightly mad uh, cat um, so yeah it's been it's been a good uh, good friendship so far it has indeed it certainly has been on my side so I'm glad you said it as well <laughs> <laughs> it would have been really awkward if you'd been like <laughs> yeah um, so right this evening's talk uh, and discussion is all about hiking, as you've just heard Sarah say there. Um, she has hiked in Sweden. Sweden, as you will inevitably hear about, has a very, very dear place in Sarah's heart. Um, but Sarah, would you like to first start by introducing yourself? Um, tell us about yourself um, and tell us a bit about, firstly, your LGBTQ plus experiences throughout your life. Um, this is Frit and I'm done speaking. Uh, yeah. Okay, so um, uh, I'm Sarah. Uh, I'm currently living in Brighton in the UK. Um, I have uh, got some plans to move uh, kind of coming up. Um, but, uh, but yeah, at the moment, I'm on the south coast. Um, and my, my day job, I guess, my kind of normal life, uh, my indoors life, is uh, so I work in housing um, and sort of architecture. Um, so social housing and architecture. Um, so it's I guess there's always been uh, in my heart quite a big uh, passion for uh, like the built environment, the natural environment, like how we as humans interact with um, the spaces and places around us. Um, so I guess in terms of hiking, um, it's like all to do with the outdoors and the kind of benefits that you get from being outdoors. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, uh, I came out, uh, at about age 18, so it would have been the early 2000s. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, um, I mean, it wasn't like a particularly, uh, dramatic experience. Um, it was, it was kind of fine. Um, most of my friends were completely fine. My family didn't really have, um, particularly bad reactions um so kind of no complaints uh, no complaints there um and yeah i guess in terms of continuing experiences um i don't know really uh i guess i guess in some ways like when frit first asked me to uh to talk i was sort of thinking like oh i don't really know how much my uh my sort of uh, identification as as a lesbian really impacts on um my sort of love of the outdoors but it was kind of 
as I was thinking about um, what I might talk about tonight, I kind of started thinking uh, about all the reasons that I love being outdoors and all the reasons that hiking is so important to me. And actually, it does it does feed in? It does feed in in lots of different ways, uh, which I hadn't even been aware of. So, uh, yeah. Would you like to go into a bit <laughs> about that? <laughs> now that yes. you've you've basically yeah. led yourself so wonderfully into that. So yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So, um, like, I've always hiked. Um, I uh, was brought up with a, a by a really active hiker, uh, my stepdad, um, uh, who uh, really sadly passed away uh, in 2019, but was a massive influence on my life. And I was incredibly fortunate that his family have a tiny cottage in North Yorkshire. Um, and we would go there um like every half term every easter holiday uh it's in this beautiful uh dale called nidderdale and there's just the most stunning scenery it's just it whatever weather you get it's just beautiful and that was those were our family holidays we just uh we just hiked we go to the cottage didn't have a tv still doesn't um doesn't have any internet uh no phone signal uh, it is a proper like to, like removal from like the pressures of normal life, um, and we would just literally get up every day and go hiking. And so I guess I started doing that when I was about six, which is pretty young. Um, and yeah, for like every um, pretty much every holiday, uh, probably until I was about don't know maybe sixteen, that was that was like the mainstay of of uh, my life. Um, as a as a kind of older child and a, as a young teenager, I was like, and actually as an older teenager, I, I wasn't particularly sporty. Um, so apart from the hiking, I, I wouldn't have described myself as a sporty, sporty child. Um, I have always struggled with uh, body image. Um, I know I'm not alone with that, but I'm quite tall and I've got quite um I don't know, a broad frame. Um, and I always felt like quite out of place, I think. Even in my family, like my mum and my sister and all of my aunts are quite short and like the opposite of me. Um, and so I guess I felt um, like hiking was a bit of an anomaly. Like it was just this thing that happened, but wasn't really, it didn't really like make any difference. Um, and then, I don't know, it kind of, sort of as an adult um I think that when I'm hiking I'm set free from all the expectations that there are of what a woman should look like or what a woman should wear or um you know what uh what sort of society uh says you should you should be acting like um and it's like a stripping away of any expectations that society has you're not in any boxes there's no labels and it's just me as i as i'm meant to be and i guess in terms of like my physique i think when i've got a really heavy rucksack on that's kind of how my body is supposed to be like most of the time when i'm doing long distance hikes my rucksack is about 20 kilos and like, you know, not, not everybody will find that okay to carry, but I feel like in a way it's like what my body was meant to carry. It kind of fits, fit that weight fits me quite well. Um, so yeah, I guess it's, um, and that ties to being uh, sort of uh, LGBTQ, I guess, because, so when I came out, I was thinking about this earlier, that the stereotypes were 
much more black and white than I think they are now. Like, I think there's a lot more nuance and there's a lot more diversity um, in in the spectrums now. And I think at the time, it really wasn't that, I didn't feel like that. Perhaps it was where I was growing up, I don't know. It just felt really black and white. And, um, and I think I always felt really out of place. And when I came out, it felt like, Oh, okay, so I don't have to. I don't have to try and conform to the society's expectation of what like a straight woman is. Um, I can just be, you know, how how I am. Um, and I think that's the same that I feel when I'm hiking. Like I'm just freed from all of those expectations. Sorry, that was like a massive waffle. But then, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Do not apologise. I loved every second of that. Um, two things I really want to pick up with you. Number one, a twenty kilo backpack. Are you kidding me? <laughs> So the first time that I did um, the Fjallraven Classic, which is a, a really grueling uh, like multi-day hike in Sweden, um, they have these weighing scales at the beginning of the hike that you can put your rucksack on. And I went with a group of uh, women and all of their uh, all of their bags were like 15, 16 kilos. And I put mine on and it was, so it was 19 and a half, but I think you'll forgive me for the half. Um, yeah. So, and I went back the second year and tried to get it down. I think it was down to like 19. So <laughs> I'm not an ultralight backpacker by any means. Right. We'll come on to the Fjallraven uh, <laughs> yeah. trek soon. Uh, but yes. Okay. I will forgive you for rounding up to 20. Uh, it's much, it sounds much more impressive than 19 and a half to be fair. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the other thing that I wanted to pick up on that you mentioned about was about the stereotypes when you first mm. came out and, and them feeling more black and white at the time. Can you elaborate a bit more on that in terms of what you mean by black and white and, and what you felt the stereotypes were at the time? Yeah. Um, and I guess this is all just from my, like, these are my thoughts and my personal experiences. Like, I don't, I really hope I don't offend anybody. Um, but I guess... So I, I wouldn't necessarily, like, I don't think I'm particularly butch, but I'm also not particularly feminine. And I guess um, when I was when I was coming out, there didn't seem to be, there seemed to be, like, one stereotype of a lesbian, which was, like, super, super butch, like, short hair, baggy trousers, um, like, all that kind of, like, yeah, late 90s, early 2000s image, um, which was kind of, great for me because that's sort of the type of clothing that really fitted my body I felt really comfortable in it um you know I think um I don't know it worked it worked for me but I think it was a way that I could use use that to kind of um feel freed from the kind of uh, I don't know societal expectations of of what yeah straight women look like and it's a bit ridiculous because it's not like all of my friends were super feminine like they weren't at all um but it just somehow it felt um it felt like a way that I could explain why I was wearing what I was wearing and why I had short hair and why um yeah why I was looking the way that I was looking whereas I think now there's just there's a lot more variety and I don't know whether people I don't know just I, I get the feeling there's a lot more comfortable comfortableness with just sort of looking how you want to look and wearing what you want to look uh wearing what wearing what you want to wear um yeah I don't know that was that was how it felt at the time I think I totally get that um I don't think we're too dissimilar in age I'm 32 I think you're you don't have to disclose 
35 okay okay cool yeah so uh so we're really not that far apart in age and uh so when you came out when you were did you say it was 18 yeah um I came out when I was about 16 um and that wasn't that long ago really if you think about it in terms of how it feels as if uh society has to a degree progressed um in terms of hopefully as you say um these sort of stereotypes or um the you know the images of how people feel they need to portray themselves are hopefully becoming a bit more nuanced and hopefully becoming um essentially just shades of grey where you can just sort of embrace the way that you want to look and not have to attach it to a reason um, other than just you feel comfortable with short hair or you feel comfortable in the clothes that you wear Um, and like you say yeah not having to sort of uh, attach it to something now but I also agree that in the past when I first came out I you, you mentioning that has made me realise that I definitely felt a, com- a sort of a, uh, a safety net with um, having it sort of attached to something where people could understand. And it almost kind of was for other people's comfort, which is really silly. Um, we shouldn't be doing anything for anyone else's comfort, really. So long as we're not hurting other people, the way that we live, live our lives and the things that we say should not be done to make others feel comfortable because it's their problem, essentially, if they feel uncomfortable. Um, but thinking about it now, um, yeah, having at the time when I identified as a gay woman, um, for context for everyone else in the room who doesn't know, but I now identify as trans. Um, so but at the time when I identified as a gay woman, I thinking about it now you know being able to sort of ex- sort of explain it in that way after I came out was yeah, really helpful think, yeah it's kind of like um remove some of the ne- uh, necessity for questions it's like uh you know you don't have to have a whole conversation about um you know why you might have cut your hair short like it sounds ridiculous but it's like oh right okay you're gay yeah makes sense and then it kind of moves on um, it's like, yeah, you're right. It's about making it, I it's justifying it somehow. It sounds, I mean, it sounds ridiculous now talking about it, but it's, um, yeah, I think you're right. Definitely. I think, um, yeah, just, I, I've never thought about that before, actually. I've thought about that now in, in the present day of sometimes what I do to make other people feel comfortable and put mm. their comfort over my own comfort. But I hadn't thought about that in terms of my past and the things that I'd done previously in order to accommodate for other people's um, feelings of comfort instead of my own. Um, so you talking about that has just made me think about that, which is amazing. That's why I love holding these rooms and just listening to other people's stories because they really help me to understand my own story too. Um, let's dive straight into hiking then um, and um, talk a bit about your experiences with hiking. So you said that you started hiking at six, which is amazing because I def- I pretty much only found hiking when I was like 26. So um, <laughs> I can't imagine, I can't imagine, you know, being a wee frit and like, <laughs> you know, putting on like my first hiking boots. I love that image. Um, at some point I'd love to see like, you know, photos of you when you were young hiking. That would be amazing. Yeah, you, you know what? It makes me really terrified the amount of uh, money that my parents must have spent on uh, kids' hiking boots. Like, my feet are pretty big and they have like grown, obviously, a lot as I've been a kid. Um, yeah, can you imagine, like, replacing hiking boots every 
um, every time you need <laughs> new shoes. Yeah. Oh, scary. definitely. Because I used to work at a Cotswold outdoor shop, and my favourite, <laughs> amazing, and my favourite part of the job was working in the boot section, and uh-huh. I loved fitting people with boots. Um, and I would often fit um, kids who were coming for D of E and I would see them coming in and um, their parents would be like, right, so they're going to wear them for this year's D of E. Chances are they're not going to wear them for next year's D of E. <laughs> so could we get something that's budget friendly? Because I know they're going to grow out of them. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's just part and parcel, I think, of of growing up and and, um, and having sort of outdoors gear. Um, yep. So yeah, so tell us a bit. So you mentioned already about Sweden. You mentioned a little bit about Fjallraven, but tell us a bit more about that in terms of um, your hiking experiences and essentially, you know, where it's sort of taken you up to until now. Um, and, and yeah, just just tell us a bit about your passion for hiking. Yeah. So um, yeah, I mean, when I was younger, it was sort of the hiking was really uh, confined to this one. Uh, Dale in Yorkshire I mean we just we were creatures of habit we just went there um it is one of the most beautiful places I have ever been to so I can quite understand why we kept going back um and it would be kind of you know I was tiny so we would do we would do small small hikes um most of the time I remember my parents would be uh like cajoling me up the hill with some chocolate or some Kendall mint cake or uh you know bribing me basically with food um, but, you know, we did do, um, you know, pretty substantial hikes, day hikes, um, but definitely no, like, overnight hikes. Um, and then I did uh, Duke of Edinburgh when I was at uh, secondary school. I didn't um, I didn't go on to gold because I really only liked the hiking element. And you can't just do the hiking element. You have to do all the volunteering and all the skills and everything. And so I kind of, um, yeah, was less less passionate about all of that. Um, and, and I found that a struggle as well. Like I never really found hiking super easy, I guess, like as a, as a young teenager, I guess I had a bit more weight to carry and I found like the Duke of Edinburgh really, really punishing. Um, and then I don't know, it's just always been something that I've just kept doing. Um, I think it's just so, it's so part of me. It's so ingrained in who I am that I don't really think about it. Like I always have a pair of walking boots and, you know, I, I kind of, um, it's, yeah, it's just like a natural thing for me. Um, and so then as, um, as a kind of young adult and through my twenties, having said what I've just said, I actually kind of didn't really hike very much. I was in a long-term relationship with somebody who didn't really love hiking. Um, and it kind of, it wasn't as bigger part of my life I guess uh, as it is now um I still carved out time to do it so my first um like I guess solo multi-day trip um was um I ha- actually have no idea what, what year it was maybe 2013 um I went and walked the West Highland Way in Scotland um so I'd been at an academic conference uh by uh yeah in Scotland for a week and I knew that I needed some like detox time so um I didn't take my tent I wasn't camping I didn't really that was too much of a of a step like this was the first big trip that I'd done so I stayed in hostels um and like bunk houses along the way um so that is a 96 96 mile um hike from uh just outside glasgow to fort william um it was amazing the weather was horrendous um i mean i don't you know it's scotland so you don't necessarily that's a theme actually the weather being fairly horrendous during my hiking experiences 
um but i it was amazing um the, the the sense of freedom the sense of purpose um at the same time as having that freedom um the lack of phone signal the kind of the only thing you've got to do is just keep yourself hydrated and fed and keep one foot going in front of another like there's just nothing nothing like it and i think for me that trip was yeah really 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 important um i also got the worst blisters that i think i've probably ever got um so that taught me a lot about um <laughs> yeah i don't know how to prevent that and the kind of terrain that you're walking on and what that does to your feet um and then uh yeah so then um that relationship came to an end and so i suppose about four years ago um that a lot of things in my life changed in quite major ways and one of the things i guess was uh, like looking at what what i had in my life and what i was doing with my life and and who i was like i'd been in this relationship for all of my 20s and i guess I still had quite a lot of growing to do as like an adult on in my own right. Um, and so I got really involved with um, like the outdoors community. Um, and as part of that, I joined a trip um, to, uh, yeah, to this hike called the Fjallraven Classic. Now I'd been looking at doing this trip for probably about four years beforehand, but never quite got round to it. Um, and then, yeah, there was this group. It was organised through um, a company called Gutsy Girls. It was just a kind of group of us um, who just got together and decided to do it. And it was the first time I'd ever been to Sweden. First time I'd done proper wild camping. Um, so this is, it's kind of, the way I describe it is it's like a hiking event or like a hiking festival. So there's usually about 2,000 people who do it. And it's um, 110 kilometers in within the Arctic Circle uh, in Sweden. Um, and it's kind of semi-supported. So you have to buy a ticket for the event um, and you get some things like some bus transfers and you get all of your food for the trip. Um, but you have to carry everything that you need for those five or six days. You have to navigate. You have to, um, yeah, you have to do everything. You still have to do the walking. Um, and it was without a doubt the most amazing experience of my life the weather was horrendous that they've been running this trip for about 15 years now and it was the worst weather they've ever had it was so it was in august um it was bitterly cold it went down below zero like several nights which we weren't expecting for august um it was incredibly windy it was stinging biting rain it was like all like it did basically didn't stop raining for the whole week everything was wet um but it was and it was by far the most challenging terrain that i've ever had to walk on um but it was yeah it was absolutely the most amazing amazing trip that i've ever done um so i went back and did it the next year uh and the weather was completely different it was sunny it was warm um there were loads of mosquitoes and midges which were another problem but it was yeah absolutely that landscape is just um yeah one of my favorites um and then i've done some uh winter hiking as well on also in sweden um so there's another kind of um organized hiking event uh which is in the north of sweden in february 
um, which is much shorter, but it's um, equally challenging because you're walking in like knee deep snow and you've got snowshoes on and um, you've got the challenge of staying warm and um, yeah, melting snow to uh, to get water to make food and tea and that kind of thing. Um, so I guess I would say like nowadays I prefer longer multi-day hikes. I guess through hiking is what the like Americans call them call it but um yeah like long long challenging painful wet cold hikes oh Sarah I've literally <laughs> loved listening to you um uh, describing all of that I can imagine it all which is amazing and I've heard you talk about it several times but um I think there you sort of really succinctly be able uh, described your experiences of that first Fjall Raven classic, I think in particular, uh, really stands out for me in the way that you talked about it. Um, I'm going to um, start inviting people to put their hands up to come to the stage to ask Sarah any questions. But also what I would love to um, talk a bit about is um, whether anyone would also like to talk about those stereotypes um, that you know we see in uh, sort of being portrayed of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, I'd love to sort of talk more about that too. Um, but whilst we wait for people to come up to the stage, um, Sarah, tell me a bit more about why Sweden? Why does Sweden have your heart so much? What is it about Sweden? So I guess partly it's to do with Sweden itself. Um, so I love the people. Uh, I love the landscape. Like there's a lot of space and there's a lot of light and openness um, in, in the landscape. Um, and I guess it's kind of in some of the areas that I've gone to, it's the kind of landscape I'm I'm quite drawn to, which is quite bleak, uh, especially where the Fjallraven Classic takes place. It's like, you know, there's not not loads of trees. Um, it's quite rocky, very rocky. Um, so there's partly, um, yeah, partly it's the kind of landscape. Um, and then I guess also uh, it's partly the friends that I've made there. So in, in doing these events, especially, I guess I've made really, uh, really solid friendships. Um, partly with people from England, but also from, from Sweden and from Holland as well, from the Netherlands. And so I guess the Sweden is generally the place where we all meet up. And so it's kind of, I don't know, it's become a kind of common home for us all. Um, and then I guess also it's one of the first countries that I went to like outside of this relationship. And so it's kind of... Um, really important to me as me now me on my own me me as an adult um yeah it doesn't have any previous memories like it's just uh, this new a new land i guess so uh, all of those uh, also cinnamon buns um cinnamon buns are one of my favorite things in the entire world and um, nobody makes them like the swedes <laughs> you know what i've never st i've never had a, like a Swedish cinnamon bun I don't think so what? I don't think I I don't think I know what I'm missing out on I've just had a regular c cinnamon bun no it's not the same <laughs> okay the I've same. been told <laughs> I will uh, I will make you some and um and send them to you okay yeah. amazing um yeah I'd love that I mean are they gonna hold up in the post is that they a... do I actually did some I did um <laughs> I did a round a couple of months ago. I because um, when I make a batch, it makes so many that I just feel a bit ill when I eat them. So I put a shout out on Instagram to say who wants some, and um, yeah, loads of people responded. So I said I went to the post office with like ten jiffy bags full of cinnamon buns, posted them all off. Um, but yeah, I think they did. They did survive. Jiffy so. bags? Did they not yeah. just? How do? How were they received on the end? 
No, I think everybody got them. Everybody got them. I mean, it's yes, the they probably got them, but did they get yeah. them within the, its original form? Or yeah, I think so. As like pulp? No, no, they were all intact, all intact. Maybe not quite so fresh, but um, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll give you my new address when uh, when we move up to Sheffield this Sunday, um, and uh, and then hopefully we can uh, Frankie and I can can have some Swedish cinnamon buns. That'd be amazing. Um, okay. One thing I wanted to pick up on, um, actually, just very quickly before I do, I just wanted to welcome new people who've joined the room. Uh, really sorry that I've not said hi to Omi, Sophie, and Shah who have just joined, and Frankie, um, and then also Rachel, Neil, and Fran have just joined as well. So thank you to everyone who has joined this evening. I also should say, um, I should have said this thirty minutes ago, that this room is currently being recorded. But that's okay because it's just Sarah and I talking currently. But for anyone who wants to come up to the stage, uh, just please be aware that we are recording this evening. Um, I am going to leave about 10 minutes at the end where I'm not going to record. So for anyone who would like to come to the stage and not be recorded, um, then uh, that would be the, the time to do it. And I'll let you know when I've turned off the recording. Um, but yeah, um, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about was body image. So you mentioned a bit before um, that you struggled with your body image and you just felt a bit out of place. Um, can you tell us a bit more about that, but also in terms of then how you felt um, being out in nature in terms of how you felt about your body? I felt like mountains in the snow. Um, and yeah, so there's something, there's something about that that I really enjoy. Um, and then, yeah, and I know what my, I know what my body's capable of, but I think, so I surf and I paddleboard, um, like I do, I do lots of other things. Um, but I feel like hiking, I don't know. It's like, for me, it's like putting on a really comfortable pair of trousers. It's like my body just clicks into this gear and it's like, okay, like I know, what, I know what to do here. And it's like, you know, it's still challenging, but it's, there's just another gear that I go into. Um, yeah. I don't know can't really explain it more than that it just it just feels um it feels right I think um yeah yeah I love that um sorry by the way if you just heard a whole bunch of disturbance I forgot to mute myself and then had to try and find some new batteries for my audio recorder so sorry about that <laughs> hello to Phil and to Suzanne who have just joined the room um just to let you both know also we are currently recording um today's session um although we weren't for a period of time because my batteries ran out as i just said on my audio recorder so yeah <laughs> um but uh yeah i welcome everyone and anyone to um come up to the stage to ask sarah any questions whether it's about hiking whether it's about fjall raven whether it's about subverting um uh stereotypes uh, sorry whether it's subverting you know um images that we have of binary genders um yeah wh whatever you like please do um pop your hand up and come to the stage um whilst um people are potentially mulling over their questions i wanted to ask you sarah um is hiking still the main activity for you you've just mentioned you know um surfing and um paddle boarding and our very first lgbtq plus outdoors room that we held a few weeks ago was with the queer surf club um in which um you sort of came to that and talked a lot about your surfing experiences um do you have a particular favorite activity is it hiking um or have you found that you know with sort of um taking part in all these other activities too um that maybe it's a shared love um yeah i'd love to i'd love to know what you think about that 
Uh, it's not a shared love. Hiking, hiking has the crown. Um, I love surfing. I am still a beginner in a, in some senses. Like I know what I'm doing out there, but I'm not particularly um, good. If you, I suppose if you were to if you were to use um, I don't know proficiency as a measure, um, but it I never feel um, doesn't feel as natural to me. Like I love it, and I've done it for a really long number of years. And like yeah, as I said, I know what I'm doing out there, but it's it's not quite the same um it does deliver some of the same things that hiking does so partly um it's a real mindfulness um exercise both uh both surfing and hiking um you're very much focused on the here and now with surfing i think i said a couple of weeks ago like the things that you're focused on are this wave um is it is it a good wave should i paddle am i going to get hit with it um when do i paddle okay go 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 where's my foot where's my hand you kind of really distill into the moment you don't really have time to be thinking about all the stuff that's going on at work or um it's that just kind of settles down into the background and for me hiking it's not quite the same in that actually you have all the time to think um you know all you're doing is just putting one foot in front of the other and apart from things like making sure you don't get lost and keeping keeping hydrated and stuff you have a lot of time to think and actually for me um i do so i i write a lot um and i find that when i hike i do a lot of writing in my head um so i've written some fairly important pieces in my life when i've been writing and even like now during lockdown i'm just walking along the seafront if i've got a blog post that i'm writing i tend to do that writing um yeah in my head uh when i'm when i'm walking because there's just something about how doing something so you're you're kind of moving um but you're not having to think so much about what you're actually doing um that enables that creativity to kind of flow um so yes hiking is definitely uh the most important for me it's been pretty challenging uh, for me during lockdown because obviously I, so I live in Brighton which is really on the south down so there are some hills around me but um, I'm a bit spoiled I really want mountains so it's been quite tough for me being uh, in the landscape that I suppose I find not super inspiring these days um, so yeah looking forward to getting my boots on and um, yeah I've actually signed up to do a challenge um, for country walking which is um, an outdoors magazine uh, which is to walk a thousand miles um this year and i'm <laughs> slightly shocked to find that we're in april and i've probably done about 16 um uh so yeah i've got some got some miles to make up there i think yeah we're all going to be hitting the trails quite hard <laughs> um yeah. come maybe a couple of months time uh for those of you who have just joined us uh hi erica and hi phil i think you're and ben uh, i think you are the um nearest people to join us today so thank you so much for joining us um yeah here in the uk things are just starting to lift in terms of covid lockdowns and restrictions um and i can feel some kind of collective itch to just get out there already uh, i'm certainly feeling it myself so uh, yeah i can completely completely empathize with your 16 miles i think 16 miles is very good considering the conditions that we've been um living in for the past few months so um yeah i wouldn't sort of beat yourself up over that and i know that big mileage big mileage days are in store for you for sure um Hilary, thank you so much for coming to the stage. Would you like to unmute yourself um, and yeah, tell us what you've got to say. 
oh hi there um yeah i was just uh you talked about doing the the duke of edinburgh award at school and how you hadn't necessarily liked the other parts of it that went alongside it but um i did mine at school as well and i know personally for me that was my first chance although i'd done walking before that was the first time that i'd actually like wild camped and been truly out of reach of anywhere really for quite a long time i was also quite lucky that um i grew up kind of northeast of scotland and for our expeditions we uh, the bronze and silver we did more locally but for our gold we went right up to the north of scotland so it was a proper kind of wilderness feel to it um, i just wonder if kind of when you did that if that was then something you carried on and wanted to do future walks like that i don't really know if that makes sense but yeah it does um so i grew up in cambridge uh which is like the flattest in the flattest part of the uk um so uh we did do some of our duke of edinburgh um sort of expeditions further further away um i so although i loved um i loved the hiking part of it the the sort of adventure part of it um i still found it really challenging um i i guess i wasn't i was in a group of, of friends who are probably like i've always been hiking fit what i call hiking fit so i can i can go for quite a long time like yeah that's fine but they were fitter than i was and and that somehow impacted um so i struggled doing the duke of Edinburgh stuff um but i think for me so although i come from a family of hikers i don't come from a family of campers and so it was the first time that i had really done kind of multi-day camping expeditions and there was a lot of planning like anyone who's done duke of edinburgh oh my god the planning you have to plan your route you have to plan the food you have to plan your kit that's almost a, a bigger part of the dv stuff than the actual expeditions and um that i love like i have i couldn't tell you how many trips i have planned that i haven't gone on but i just love the planning of them um i had a trip planned actually over new year um up in the lakes but then uh, all the restrictions and everything hit but uh i've got a cracking multi-day camping trip planned <laughs> when when we can go um so yeah it did give me the bug um i think hillary just in a it took a, it took a while to kind of then then manifest sarah wasn't there a hiking trip was it last year was it even the year before where you set up a a group trip because so many people were interested in it me being one of them but what was it uh that <laughs> yeah that's uh what <laughs> what i called the hewitt hike um so that never happened because of covid um so i read an article on one of these online magazines about um the most remote pub in the uk which is in scotland uh, in noidart and there's a um there's only really two ways that you can get there you can either get the boat or you can hike in um and because i was kind of fresh off these um hiking events like the shire classic and and this um the one in the other one in uh, sweden the high coast uh houston winter hike um i i thought great that's fine i'll uh, see who else wants to come on this uh, this hike to the most remote pub i've got so many friends that 
quite like beer and quite like hiking, I'm sure they'll come. And then it kind of spiraled and then it just turned into this massive group um, on Facebook. And uh, yeah, I was planning to do it uh, to coincide with Father's Day, um, which would have been a, a slight uh, sort of homage to, to my dad and my stepdad. Um, but then COVID hit. Um, and it's not going to be this year, but it might be uh, 2022, the Hewitt Hike 2022. Hewitt's my surname, by the way, everyone. That's why it's called the Hewitt Hike. It's not just a random, random, um, random name. Uh, yeah, I think that would be great fun. I think it would be amazing. I am already signed up for 2022. Feeling that I get um, from going to Kendall. And actually, one of the things that I love about it is that I do completely fit in. So I remember the first time I turned up to the Fjall Raven Classic and, um, and I turned up and like everybody was wearing the same trousers. Uh, they're made by Fjall Raven. I can confirm that they are the best hiking trousers I have ever owned, but I didn't own them at the time. But there was just everybody, uh, everybody was kind of wearing the same. It was like a uniform. Everyone was wearing the same clothes and the same jacket. And uh, there was a joke at Kendall Mountain Festival, I remember, um, last year, kind of in-joke, that we were kind of all mocking each other for wearing the same kind of down jacket. And it was a kind of, every time they made that joke in, like, the trailer, I think everybody everybody kind of laughed, but it was kind of a, like a self-knowing kind of, like, sort of, like, we're taking the piss out of ourselves kind of laugh. Um, and I think, for me, those those communities are actually... It's the most that I feel like I fit in. Um, like people get my references. They don't even look twice at what I'm wearing because they're wearing the same thing. And it kind of, um, yeah, it just, uh, there aren't boxes or labels. Um, it's just one community full of people who um, all have the same uh, kind of core values and interests. Um, and that's whether it's the the Sweden Hive or the Fjallraven Classic or Kendall Mountain Festival, for me, the outdoors community has has really been like coming home. It's been like finding um, finding my people, finding my tribe. Um, yeah, and I guess that that makes me feel like I'm not a stranger, that I fit in um, completely. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. Um, and I also completely, fully resonate with that, 100%. Have you ever encountered any issues at all with the outdoors community and being LGBTQ+, and that also goes out to Hillary as well, considering you're on the stage too, and also to the audience, if anyone would like to add to that. Uh, no, not really. I, I'm, I've been kind of, I guess I've been very fortunate. I haven't had uh, many uh, kind of uncomfortable experiences, um, either in the outdoors, the outdoors community, or um, in general, really. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, it's just, it's, I've been, yeah, really fortunate, um, which I'm really grateful for. Amazing. Hilary, do you, um, yeah, have you experienced anything in the outdoors at all? Um, no, not anything LGBT plus related. Um, what I would say I've had more of an issue with, which I don't know if anybody else would relate with, is uh, being perceived as female and read as like, often a lone female because I do quite a lot of stuff by myself and that has caused more of an issue than anything else. Yeah, that reminds me of when my best friend once asked me, what do I suffer the most discrimination from? At the time I identified as a woman, so it was being Chinese, being gay or being a woman and straight off the bat I could just say being a woman. That was the thing that I got the most discrimination against at the time, Um, which is super interesting. Super interesting and super tragic. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> so um, I should have also listed that I was left-handed as well, but I've never really suffered much abuse from being left-handed. Um, maybe some uh, some casual um, some casual comments from people I know. <laughs> um, Fraser, welcome to the stage. Um, please. Uh, oh, you haven't even muted yourself, so don't don't even bother unmuting yourself. Please just go ahead and speak. Perfect. Can you can you hear me? Okay. Yes, absolutely perfectly. Cool, perfect. Um, I was actually just kind of off the back of what Hilda was saying. I've I've never experienced anything sort of LGBTQ plus perspective, but I I do a lot of hiking. A lot of my hiking friends are um, I must go hiking with girls, and um, I have sort of almost seen them almost being spoken to like they don't know what they're doing. Um, and I've often experienced I'm quite I'm quite small and quite slender. And I often find that sometimes when I go hiking, people often talk to me as if I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and yeah, it's kind of, I've never ever felt the outdoors uncomfortable for sort of LGBTQ plus people. But sometimes I do think there's almost a bit of an open gender divide, if you know what I mean. Like there's people, I'm trying to think how to word it, I almost sometimes have an issue with people who try to come across as an alpha male in the, in the hiking community. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Maybe it's a Scottish thing, Hilary. <laughs> it may well be. <laughs> but yeah, definitely. And I think I also get it a lot because, um, like, in the last year or so, I've actually started to look a little bit older. But um, I'm 28 and I look nothing like I'm 28. And so, yeah, I do find that a lot if I'm, if I'm out. Like, I... I've been out places and people have asked me if I've lost my scout group. And I'm like, no, I'm by myself. And then I realise that that's sometimes not what you want to be saying either. But um, yeah, it's it's just an interesting one sometimes. I think that's really interesting. And I'm wondering, because I don't often get... Um, like asked if I'm okay or um, kind of, mm, I want to say that molly coddled, but, you know, like treated gently. And I wonder if that's partly because of my physique. Like I'm I'm quite, maybe I'm read as being more, cap more capable than I am. Um, but maybe, uh, yeah, I don't often, like it's very rare that people will like um, offer to take my bag off a bus or from a taxi or something. And usually I it's not met very well from me because it's like, oh, look, if, if I can't carry this out of the taxi, then I really can't carry this bag, like, for a 10-day hike. Um, but it doesn't happen very often. And I think I have been hiking with with friends who, I guess, look more stereotypically weak, um, I don't know, or are read as that, which is complete ridiculous, like, some of the strongest, physically strongest women that I know, but they read differently, I guess. Um and so, yeah, I wonder if that if that comes back to that. Like, I'm I'm generally perceived as knowing knowing what I'm doing um, and being being okay to kind of just be left to get on with it. I think for for me, Sarah, um, you kind of just possibly hit the nail on the head with the word um, like weak. And I think because um, like I've I've always been like slim. There's nothing I've ever I've never been able to build and that's just the way that my body is and whatever. I'm totally fine with that. But I think sometimes that people on the hill do look at me that I'm weak and that's almost as if I don't know what I'm doing. 
yeah absolutely yeah and yeah. um, what i've also found as well which is a bit of a an interesting one as well is that I'm a little bit of a gear geek and I know I am. I've worked in outdoor shops. I've kind of, I, I don't like to, like, I'm not one of these people that just wants to have the fancy, shiniest kit, but if something works how it's supposed to do, I really like it. And so quite often I will, I kind of get the, all the gear, no idea looks a lot of the time and words said, and it's like, no, I actually know what it's for. I know how it works yeah okay it maybe looks clean but i just look after it it's not that it's all brand spanking new i uh yeah i uh definitely uh i'm the same total gear geek um and partly that contributes to the weight in my rucksack is that i bring quite a lot of stuff with me um but i think we should start a new hashtag which is all the gear all the idea uh yes please yes definitely also i do have to say a 19 and a half kilo bag. Well, well I mean, you that's... Carry it, you go ahead. <laughs> yeah. There's, um, yeah, a little, a little bit of an aside, but it's quite an, a funny story, actually, because you were talking about the, the West Highland Way. So I did that with one of my friends, oh, a couple of years ago. And um, somehow along the way, it was one of the times where we weren't really sure because we were wild camping. So we had a little bit more water than we were carrying for the rest of it so my bag was a bit heavier but um I'm quite small and slight so my bag wasn't by other people's standards probably that heavy but I somehow slipped tripped whatever off the path and ended up like trapped by my own bag that I couldn't get up and um, it was quite funny because I was just basically like lying half on the ground with my bag like at the side and yeah I ended up having to call my friend over to like help me undo my bag to then get up which yeah did did kind of make me think about packing and I think it also goes back to yeah I do quite like lightweight gear but not in the sense of like, oh, my bag must be under eight kilos or whatever. It's just a case of I know that I physically can't carry a really heavy bag for mul- multiple days. Um, and I think, yeah, other people can and other other people my size and shape can. It's just not the physical strength that I have to do that. Yeah, I mean... Uh ultralight stuff is great but i'm not somebody that will like cut the handle off my toothbrush to uh, to save like a couple of grams um i guess because i know that i can carry i mean don't get me wrong 19 and a half kilos is not comfortable like it is really quite uncomfortable um the blessing is that the more you eat uh, and the more water that you drink um and the worse the weather is actually because then you can just wear all of your clothes um then the lighter that your bag gets um but yeah i it's uh for me, it's a it's a balance of like comfort. Um, I'd rather take more stuff and have it there as an insurance policy, even if it weighs a bit more, um, than than not bringing it because of this desire to kind of have the lightest bag, um, and then having to borrow stuff from other people or suffering out on the hill because that's that's not fun and that can be more dangerous than um, than carrying something a bit heavier. Oh yeah, I'd I'd agree and. 
kind of more a question for you as well, actually, um, Sarah, coming kind of coming from a bit of a different perspective to me. Um, have you had any issues with like getting rucksacks or that to fit your physique? If you've said it's kind of maybe not what would typically be expected. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a really good question. Um, so yes, I have, um, and I found a really creative way around it. So I uh, like uh, like Fritz said, I used to work in uh, Cotswold Outdoors, so I did a lot of like rucksack fittings. And when it came to uh, me buying a uh, rucksack for uh, the first Gal Raven Classic, I went into Cotswolds and I had a look at the newest Osprey uh, rucksacks. Um, I'm not a brand ambassador for Osprey, I wish, um, but I just knew that they like technically suited what I wanted. But they had actually um, redesigned the back and hip system in the time between when I used to work for them and when I was buying the rucksack. And it, I can, I know what they've done, but they've kind of put the like the hip belt. They've kind of molded it into um, the back, the back system. So they're kind of one one piece that kind of hugs you. And I just found it really uncomfortable. The idea is that it kind of really clasps around your hips. And I guess my hips are like, I mean, yeah, they're, they're, the, they're the biggest part of me. Um, and it just, it's not like, they're not extraordinarily huge, but they just felt really uncomfortable. Um, and so I went onto eBay and found an Osprey bag from the previous design from when they hadn't, uh, hadn't done that. And um, yeah, my rucksack is called Big Red. And um, yeah, she's she's kept going. She's great, and is and is really comfortable. Um, so I guess the system that I went for has this, um, like it's the hip belt. You can detach it, and then you can mold it to your hips. I think back in the day they used to have this little oven that you could put the hip belt in um, in the shops, which would heat the hip belt up, and then you put it round your hips, and it would that like literally mold to your shape. Um, but Interestingly, I, that was a pure gimmick. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, I haven't, I didn't put my hip belt in my oven, so I don't know, but it's, it's worked perfectly. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's been, that's been the only thing with them, with the rucksacks. Uh, yeah, no, that's, that's really interesting. Um, because I've kind of been on the, the opposite side of that, where I, like especially going back to when I did like Magic of Edinburgh because I was only like 14 when I started that and um, I for some reason grew most of my height when I was about 17 or 18 <laughs> so I was really small and really really slight when I was that age and yeah to get my rucksack to fit I had to have two jumpers on which was not the most comfortable experience but it was the only way that it would remotely remotely fit i still get that now actually where like like waistbands i'm like pulling them all the way to they just like i don't understand it the, i know especially on like a smaller fit rucksack why have all this excess strap or at least like, or on, at least there's some there's some backpacks where you can tuck the straps away what i find really annoying is that i don't know what to do with the straps so then i've started tying them in like bows so i'm like basically making like decorative features out of like my excessive yeah. straps on like 
if I have a bag and I like it and I know that it's going to be like mine, I um, I do a fair bit of sewing, so I tend to modify the straps myself. But especially with like kind of 55, 60 litre plus rucksacks, I've had so many of them and tried so many of them that I I tend to like wait and check that it's going to be one that I'm keeping because it's much easier to sell on if you haven't modified it. I um yeah I had the I have the opposite problem um not that I can't get bags to fit I'm I would hasten to say I probably uh some of the people listening will really maybe think uh that I you know I'm not I'm not that large um but my hips definitely have been uh, a problem and actually when I did Duke of Edinburgh I had a really ill-fitting rucksack and I got blisters on my hips and they rubbed um they rubbed through and they bled and they that was the most painful part of Duke of Edinburgh for me um so yeah it's something that I've always been really conscious of because like blisters on your feet somehow you can kind of deal with but blisters on your hips is yeah that's it's, that's so painful. yeah I um yeah I ended up with bandages round mine as well because they just yeah it was red raw weeping and yeah I think I was just glad that it was only a couple of days and what I will say as well is that it did kind of put me off like those kind of multi-day trips for a little while because I was what well, it takes the enjoyment out of it when it's causing so much pain. I think we could talk forever about misfitting gear. Um, yeah, I and... feel like trying to hijack the group no, there. It's, that. No, it's totally fine. It's just, it's part of the conversation. Um, and I've had this conversation with so many people um, about ill-fitting gear um, and how gear doesn't seem to be made for, I say it doesn't seem to be, it just isn't made for, everybody shape um a, a quote from a friend of mine is why don't hiking brands think that hikers have thighs um and so she often struggles to find hiking trousers that fit her and i've had the same experience when i was working in cotswold and regularly there would be people coming in who uh, were a bit shorter had um essentially had thighs um and so and and there were no trousers that would fit them in terms of they could either go for really wide trousers but would be way too long or um they could get trousers that um would fit the length but would be way too um way too slight so um ill-fitting gear i think is is a major bugbear of almost everyone in the outdoors i think i think almost everyone has found that um that they that they've encountered gear that just doesn't fit them um i'm conscious of time it is about 10 past nine here um so i think what we'll do is we will round off the room um i just want to say a huge thank you to sarah for coming on today as the guest and sharing her experiences with us both of hiking in wild and wonderful landscapes and um, also sharing her experiences of being LGBTQ plus um, and just speaking so candidly about several areas um, of your life, Sarah. So thank you so much. Um, also, thank you to Hilary and to Fraser for joining us on stage. Um, I love it when Hilary joins the stage. I know we're going to be in for something good when Hilary puts their <laughs> hand up. So, <laughs> um, so that was great. Um, but just to finish off, Sarah, is there anything that you would like to say in terms of to the lgbtq plus community and to allies about hiking are there any tips are there, is there anything that you'd just like to say about hiking in general to round off the room 
Oh, okay. Uh, big way to end. Um, uh, I guess I would say that um, I found the hiking community and the outdoors community just to be the most welcoming and supportive place where you can be free to be who you are. Um, so I guess if there are um, people who are um, exploring uh, their sexual identity um, and, and into the outdoors, then I would say the community is a really amazing place to enable you to explore that. Um, and for allies, um, yeah, keep, keep doing what you're doing. And um, that's really important just to offer that safe space for us to be who we are. Amazing. I love that so much. I think that's perfectly rounded off the room. Just before you go, can you tell everyone where people can find you online? Oh, yeah. Uh, so I'm on, oh, I should have prepped me for this. I don't know what all my handles are. Uh, so Instagram is the most uh, the most um, obvious place, uh, which I think is s.hewitt15. Um, I also have a website, uh, which is sarahhewittphotography.co.uk, uh, where some of my photos and my writing is on there. Um, yeah, those are, those are the most, um, most commonly found places. Amazing. Perfect. Thank you. Um, I would um, recommend everyone to go over to your website and to have a read of your blog. Um, you do some wonderful writing. So, yeah, um, I definitely would recommend that if everyone has a few minutes to um, please do go check out Sarah's blog. Um, thank you so much to everybody who has joined us this evening. Um, Sarah, you've just provided some incredible insights into just your life um your story is just incredible um and i just love how honestly and just with how much integrity you speak about it you talk about some difficult areas um, and some difficult times in your life but um you speak about them in a way that comes from for me anyway i perceive it as like um as, as from a place of strength um so I really admire you for having come through those tough times because from, you know, the, the bits that we have spoken about those times, I know that um, they have been particularly tough for you, but I really do admire the way that you've come through them um, and how honestly you speak about them on your social media. So just thank you for essentially holding that space for the rest of us to also be honest about our experiences too. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for doing that. Um, right, yeah, so... Um, I will be closing this room off in um, a little bit. So for those with microphones, would you like to unmute yourself and say goodbye as if we're all in the same place together? That would be amazing. Um, and to everyone else who's joined us, thank you, thank you for joining. Uh, we'll be holding another room uh, next week uh, at the same time on Wednesday. And the special guest is Hillary. So Hillary's not going to have to put their hand up and provide us with some incredible insights. Instead, they're just going to be starting right from the start. So please do join us next week with Hillary as we'll be talking more about running um, and the running group that they're part of. So, yeah, thank you so much, everybody, for joining and we'll see you next week. See you later. Thanks. Thank see you later. Bye. 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 Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you. I always do that. I like leave the room rather than end the room. Why do I do that? <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Oh, Hilary, I'm so excited for your for your session oh. next week. It's going to be so good. I'm going to now actually have to think of something to say at the start. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I'll have some questions ready. 
Um, <laughs> Please do. In fact, if you think of any before then, feel free to send me them and it might actually give me something to think about. Okay, cool. No problem. I will send you some questions beforehand, but I will also <laughs> not send you some questions beforehand and see how we do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Amazing. Right. Um, um, thank yeah, you so I much. You. I normally just leave whoever's doing the room because it's easier than figuring out how to leave. <laughs> but you're a seasoned clubhouse pro now no i don't well yeah like does it do the same if you just press the weave yeah just leave quietly right see you later. <laughs> yeah they did it okay right bye frankie bye neil Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really hope that you got just as much joy out of that as I did. What an incredible person Sarah is. Again, I'm just so lucky to have her in my life as such a wonderful friend. If you'd like to find out more about her, I will put all of Sarah's social media handles and the link to her website in the show notes. If you'd like to be a guest on future LGBTQ plus outdoors clubhouse sessions, then please do get in touch with me. You can find me on Instagram at frit underscore tan. Awesome. Okay, cool. I will see you all next week. Thanks so much.